Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road in New Jersey. I think I got this volume turned up a little bit too much in my headset. They have detents here, and for some reason, let's see, if I go one up, it's a little bit too loud. So I don't know what that's all about. Nothing has changed. Maybe my ears uh, are, are unclogged. Who knows, right? We don't know what's going on here. But hopefully everything is going well for you, and you had uh, had a good week and a productive week, God willing. And if it was not, then just keep in mind that this following week will be better. I was blessed with a very interesting week, and I don't uh, really know... Uh, I mean, so it's not I really know. Look at how I was looking at my uh, my meter my my meters here. That's why my my mind drifted. But anyway, I'll go back. Let me uh, reboot. <laughs> so I, I was blessed with a very interesting week. On uh, well, one day was on a, it was Monday, but that would be the last Monday, so it doesn't really make any difference. I uh, went up to Peter Myers place over in pennsylvania and he's the fine artist that used to be a uh a, a designer for general motors and i did it on after i did two on the road podcasts one with him and then one with him and rob ida because they're working on building that three-wheeled car that pete designed for general motors on his first few days of being hired pete was the youngest hire or one of the youngest hires uh, and at General Motors as a designer, and he then rose the ranks, and he was going to be most likely probably would have been the head of design for General Motors, but then he decided to leave the company and uh, well back in 1980 and started a career as a what they would call a fine artist, and um, I don't really know what the definition of fine artist is, but uh, but it is a, a category from what I can understand, but anyway. Pete invited me up. He's about 60 miles away in Pennsylvania. He invited me up to come over and because Larry Turk was going to be there. Now, I know you're probably saying to yourself, who's Larry Turk? Well, I, I said the same thing. And Larry Turk is retired now, but he was uh, one of the main, I'm not, I'm not going to say the head, I don't know really what his, what his rank was, but he was a clay modeler for Ford Motor Company for 40 years. Interestingly enough, his father started in Ford Motor Company in 1936 as a wood modeler. Larry started in 1966 as a clay modeler, and his son, which I don't recall his name, I didn't meet him, started in 1996, so three, 30 years apart, they all started working in the model shop at Ford Motor Company in Dearborn, Michigan. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar, is that when they're designing a vehicle or even a truck or a farm tractor, they do a clay model. And Larry was a very uh, accomplished clay model. He's modeler. He's retired now from Ford Motor Company for a number of years. But he did uh, one of the Mustangs. He did uh, a lot of Lincolns, but his biggest claim to fame was that he did the 0506 Ford GT, and then he also did the current Ford GT, like my friend Bob Ida has, the GT supercar, not the Mustang. So Pete invited me up to come see Larry and meet him, and he was making a, a scale clay model of this three-wheeled car that Pete designed back in 1966. So 
It was nowhere near done when I was there, but it was very interesting to see how he works with the clay. But also at that time, when I when I, uh, Pete invited me up, is there was a film crew there from the company that makes the modeling clay uh, for the car companies. So it was very interesting, and there was two. Uh, two or three rep well there was a rep there was the chem uh, the chemist there who uh, actually formulates the clays and there was a film two film no, i think three or four of them all together from the clay company so i got a chance to meet them and, and i know nothing about clay matter of fact when i was a kid my mother took the play door away from me because she said i was making a mess but it was very very interesting to meet these people to see larry actually working and and, and creating a, a scale model one quarter scale model of a car with clay and it was a blessed blessed uh experience and i'm also going to have larry on one of the upcoming episodes of my on the road podcast so he could tell us all about how they model clay uh clay model cars and then uh when he retired he actually did some work for peter built trucks and for some other companies so it was uh really very interesting to go up there and to see that and uh to feel the clay they actually heat the clay in an oven to about 180 degrees and then they take it out quickly and then they start to work with it and it loses it loses some temperature but it stays warm but uh so when we when we do the on the road show I will let you know, and it'll be uh, a lot of behind-the-scenes stories from the car industry and how they manufacture cars and design cars, which I know that the majority of you, because you're hot rod farmers, will enjoy that. And then the next day, I went out to uh, Mount Joy, Pennsylvania, to a dealer group called Mezix. Messix, I pronounced it wrong. They corrected me because I always say Messix. It's Messix, and I did an on-the-road podcast with them, and they started out as dairy farmers, and now they have five dealerships. I believe it's five different dealerships. They're all the same core brands: Case, New Holland, and Kubota. And then they have what they call in agriculture short lines, which could be which. And what we mean in agriculture when we say short lines, it's not a complete line. So if you take a um, a manufacturer like John Deere, they have tractors, they have combines, they have cult, uh, they have tillage equipment, they have hay balers, they have sprayers. Whereas a short line company would, be, let's say, only make, uh, uh, let's say, uh, like Kinsey, who makes planters. So when maybe planters and tillage equipment, or unreferred. So they're, uh, so they have, I think, five dealerships. But the dealership that I was at, where I recorded, was the, is their flagship. It's brand new. It's dropped head gorgeous it's a two two hundred and seventeen thousand square feet and i met with the uh, three members of the messix family uh and we told the story of their passion for agriculture and for uh working with farmers and how to farm how to how not to farm how the uh business started and that new facility has three miles worth of shelving to store parts I think it's a little bit more than three miles, so it's quite interesting. And uh, that may be, may be out by the time this, it's either going to be out this week or next week. So it's on the On the Road podcast, so you can check that out. So that was very interesting, but it was also crazy going down. It's, a, it's about 192 miles one way to get down to Messix from, uh, from the farm here. I was going along Interstate 81, and this is just an observation of mine. It's no more; it has no more credence than anybody else's observations in the world. 
But it's amazing that with the price of fuel, the amount of vehicles that are on the road, and they're going like maniacs. And when I was on I-81 in Pennsylvania, I passed a truck stop, you know, had, you know, you could see it from the highway with the with the big digital signs, 589.9 a gallon for diesel. And it was like 470 or 480 for regular gasoline. And the people are going like crazy. I mean, unbelievable. And you would tend to think that they would slow down. A guy passed me in a Duramax pickup truck. Uh, he must have had that thing up against a chip. I mean, so, I mean, the speed limit, what I'm saying, the chip, if it's, if you're not familiar with that nomenclature, that slang from the car, from the, from the car drag racing business hobby. So, uh, I mean, as fast as that thing could go, you could hear when he went by me, I could hear the exhaust just screaming. Uh, and, uh, you, you stop in a rest area, the guy's sitting there with a semi, he's in the men's room and a track that it's running. So I don't know, it's a crazy dynamic out there. Very, very crazy dynamic with these prices. And uh, I'm not saying that the world stops. I'm not saying you don't go to work. I'm not saying you don't go see your mother. I'm not saying you don't go on vacation. But, you know, at least try to not idle the engine and drive economically. So who knows? It's a different world. But it, it seems to be just a uh, paradox that I really can't can't put my put my finger on so what else i want to tell you so uh well so that was that so monday went to meet larry turk the clay modeler tuesday went to mesix mesix wednesday i took my little alley the alligator to the vet for the first time she was wonderful I had a little bit of trouble getting her in the in the in the carrier but once she was in the carrier she was wonderful and charlotte and i are going to be grandparents because Allie is in the family in, in the family way, she's going to have kittens. So I was very surprised that, and uh, I've had animals here on the farm my whole life: cats, dogs, chickens, possums, pheasants, you name it, uh, baby deer, fox. So I've had you know, we as you know, if you listen to my show, that my greatest love, other than for the Lord, is for animals, and. Uh, I, you know, she's only like six months old, so we were going to get her spayed. We, I mean, we were going to, we are planned on getting her spayed probably around June. Of course, we figured she was too young because she's small. But yes, she is in the family way, so we're going to have kittens. And uh, we, uh, I, I guess part of us is excited about the kittens. But uh, then again, uh, God willing, we'll be able to find some good homes for them. And then Allie will have, we'll pray that she has a, a, a easy childbirth because she's so young and so or kitten birth i should say so it was a little bit of a surprise we kind of thought she was pregnant but i mean either that or she was gaining a lot of weight and that explains a lot with that little alligator so my little alligator is going to um, be a mommy and it's sad because they they took this they meaning whoever impregnated her those cats and i love them i don't know who did it but uh you know they took away her childhood because she never saw a spring she never saw a summer she was born in august so all of these things are new and exciting to her like the turkeys are coming out she sees that and and now she's going to be a mommy but uh god willing uh everything will work out with that now another couple of things here i got my notes here before we get into today's show into today's show is that first of all 
Uh, I want to reiterate that the license plates are in. There's people who have already received them. I'm going to ask you when you do receive them, if you don't mind, send me a picture. If you don't want to be in a picture, that's fine. Then you hold it up against your car or your toolbox or your tractor or wherever you're going to put it. And yeah, that would be wonderful. And then we're going to post those on the website when we get enough of them. And then also um, Sue is going to be putting on my website a list of winners. Uh, we didn't do that as of yet so we're going to be working on that because if i don't have your email address or can't find it then i will not be able to contact you so i want you to uh if you didn't win then go to the website all right but eventually i mean this is only the second week but i need to give a shout out back to jason from long island because jason you did win and i did have your email address and you did not contact me so i just need for you to contact me send me an email and i could get you that hot rod farmer license plate and then we have two more pins in the map and i have to uh, thank these people and they're in the drawing obviously for the hot rod farmer license plate and it's mr franklin rude r-o-o-d and i believe if i could read my chicken scratch it's canton new york it's up it's in new york state and so we want to thank you very much, Mr. Rude, and also Mr. Doug DeBerg, and he's from Kearney, Missouri, not Kearney, Nebraska, Kearney, Missouri, and he gave me a pin in my map, so they're going to be in the drawing for the license plate. And then also, we have to announce this week's winners. So this week's winners for the American-made, USA-made hot rod farmer license plate is Ron Learn from Pennsylvania, Austin Middlestadt from Tennessee, Rick Patton from North Carolina, Chad Henderson from Alabama, Lloyd Hickerson from Texas, and Corey Atley from Ohio. So, uh, what I'm, so the, like I said, the first few weeks, I'm going to be announcing a number of winners and pulling a number of names to try to chew down this list so it doesn't go on for a year. And then as we start to chew that down, depending upon how many more pins I get in my license plate, in my license plate, in my map, I will uh, determine we're going to do at least two a week. So between, the, uh, we did one, two, three, four, five, six this week and, and eight last week. So I uh, wanted to try to get some of these plates out there for you guys and i want to thank you so so much for participating in this and for giving me a pin in my map and if you're new or you're not new and you never gave me a pin in my map just email me at hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com and then let me know where you're from and that you want to pin in my map or if you don't want to do that just go on to the website farmmachinerydigest.com and soup and click on win the license plate and there's a form right there and you fill it out and you don't have to remember the email address or what have you it's a click and it's a click and send deal just what we like all right so that is that and on today's show what i'm going to be discussing is Oh, I'm going to call it a spring tune-up, but it's really not a tune-up. It's some, it falls under the guise of some maintenance things that uh, now that the weather is breaking and we're going into spring, well, it's not breaking too much here because it's going to be 19 degrees tomorrow morning. So uh, that's a little bit of winter coming back, but we did have a little bit of a reprieve the other day. Uh, I think it was like 60 something degrees and, um, 
yeah, I think it was in the sixties. I don't know. The weather bounces around so much, and then you know this time of year it does that every place. So, uh, but that is that. So, so we're going to call it a spring tune-up, but it's really like a spring, like spring maintenance tips that a lot of people may overlook. So we're going to discuss that today, and then in the special delivery section of the show. Uh, what I'm going to do, and we have a letter here, and it's about a gentleman who doesn't understand why his battery just died. So we're going to discuss that, and I have been negligent as far as making up a new toolbox test, and uh, so I apologize for that. It's just that there's been, uh, so, well, I'm not, I'm not complaining, Dave, it's all been good things going on, but uh, just, uh, I need to put my thinking cap on. I, I try to make those tests as creative as I possibly can, and I don't want to just say, "Okay, what is EGR?" So if you and but like I say, I also I mean you don't need for me to read it. Here. There's 21 or 22 tests up there, so just go to the website farmmachinerydigest.com and you could take the test yourself, which is probably a better learning experience than me reading it to you uh, on the I'm going to say on the radio on the podcast. Okay, so I'm going to just grab a drink of water here. I'll be right back over here, and uh, we will get going with this. All righty, thank you. <clears throat> you know, so, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, when you come, I come from the magazine world, as most of you probably know, that I had a, uh, a, lo- a pretty good run in the magazine business from 1996, and I still do contribute to magazines, and I would actually like to do more of that, but that whole industry just seems to be evaporating like like spitting on a hot frying pan. And which really, you know, I've said this before, it's a, it's a sad situation as far as I'm concerned because reading is just such a wonderful, wonderful blessing and, uh, excuse me, such a wonderful uh, education tool. I mean, to read and to hold. And, and to my way of thinking, even though I do have a website and I, and I prompt you to go on it to read, that was never my desire. I always wanted to have a print magazine. I just think a print publication is so, uh, anything in print is just different. You hold it in your hand, I don't know, or whatever. I'm not gonna get on that high horse. But in the magazine business, and specifically in other genres, right, then uh, if you had a you know cooking magazine, or let's say magazine like uh, Better Homes and Gardens, and I'd say, you know, spring, you know, spring gardening tips, or uh, how to get your barbecue grill ready for, uh, you know, for, for, for the summer cooking season, and then, you know, if you looked at a woman's magazine, and they, you know, fa- a fashion magazine, they'd say, okay, you know, what's the latest fashions for summer, or a fitness magazine, you know, uh, get that bikini body now, so, and every year they'd basically <laughs> rehash the same stuff, and interestingly enough, as the audience, the people would, would really enjoy it and suck it up, even though nothing was really new, the pictures were new, but uh, what you needed to do to get your barbecue grill ready for the summer didn't change from year to year, or to get your body ready for a, for to go to the beach in a bikini really didn't change from year to year, but still, hey, but you know, I used to fall prey to that also, so we all fall prey to that. But what I'm hoping to do today is introduce some things that some maintenance, I hate to use the word maintenance tips, we're going to call maintenance procedures, which is probably actually a more accurate term than tips, and to, uh, and to, uh, that, that many people don't, don't, uh, I'm not going to say that they don't 
uh, know about them, they probably don't recognize to do them or it just doesn't come on their radar. And I'm just as guilty of that like anybody else is in life. I mean, everything doesn't come on my radar. So uh, that is what we're going to do today. So without any further ado, let's get into this. And they're going to be for, it's going to be for engines, it's going to be for equipment, it's going to be for gasoline, it's going to be diesel, obviously some of the things if I talk about ignition coil, obviously that's application specific to a gasoline engine. But if I talk about a chain or something lubricating a chain, then uh, that's something that could be on a, either a motorcycle, or a hay baler, it could be on a corn plant or what have you, on a combine. So you know you have to apply you know those the application specific things to whatever you have and as an aside to that once more breaking away and i'm hoping that i and i feel very confident that you is my audience because a number of you do correspond with me and i just cherish that i love hearing from you and getting correspondence from you and uh, it just uh, it makes my day i'm not ashamed to say that but i know that you guys that are listening to this guys and gals because i know there's a number of of women that listen and that's i think that's fantastic and uh nothing i mean that's great i'll leave it there before i put my foot in my mouth but anyway uh you you're the audience of this show and the audience of my radio show farm machinery digest radio on Sirius XM rural radio channel 147 i always say that because people always say well what channel is it on and uh you guys are of a higher quality a higher echelon when it comes to working with your machinery and understanding machinery and and that aspect of either your farm operation or whatever you happen to be doing whether it's just your cars and you have a job in town or your truck or your lawnmower or what have you because as i always say if you're listening to this show a lot of it goes lots of times they go into some obscure topics of machinery and you really have to be into it but if you are listening to this show then you're really concerned with taking care of machinery having it run efficiently and having it run reliably so you guys are in the in the in the mensa you the mensa can't the mensa group of the machinery side of the aisle in agriculture and just in and every aspect whether it's in the as a hobby or a business or what have you so but even some of you may not think of some of these topics that i'm going to discuss and then what i'm going to ask you to do is share with me obviously you'd have to send me an email because it's a radio it's a podcast is that some of the things that i did not put on this list that you do because i could learn from you just as readily and probably more easily than you could learn from me so uh this is supposed to be we're, we're in this together this this idle chatter podcast farm machinery digest radio the website we're in this together we're partners in this we have an intellectual exchange and that's what it is so we exchange knowledge from one another it's not just a one-way street i just happen to have had bought a microphone but uh but that does but you have a computer or or some way of emailing me and that's your microphone so all right i'm gonna say it again without any further ado what i what what i suggest that you do or what i always like to do is to go around an engine and a piece of machinery when i when the and you know you want to do this now the weather's starting to get nice you don't want to do it on a cold damn day is i go around and the first thing you want to do is put eyeballs on everything put eyeballs and everything it's not going to take that long to do that you know i mean so anything that's going to move anything it's pertinent so if you're looking at a, a let's say a piece of tillage equipment well you know i mean you know and 
put eyeballs and then grab it and you know see if something moves if something is loose look at bolts to see and nuts to see whether they moved whether there's a telltale sign that they moved or any signs of movement so look at that right and then the next thing that i suggest that you do is go around with a wrench and i've said this before on the show and snug things up and specifically on the engine uh go around and snug up whatever bolts you could get to on the intake manifold without taking half the engine apart and if you get a little creative you could probably get to 90 or 95 percent of them maybe even 100 percent you may need to use a socket with a swivel you may need to use an offset box and wrench here but get a go around there and specifically the intake manifold bolts and everything in the intake track snug that up uh you know keep in mind that most engines today gasoline or diesel the same thing is going happen with a lawnmower or a lawn tractor is that you have different materials and they have different expansion rates and contraction rates so things tend to loosen up so you want to go snug that up and, and go around there and then if it's a turbocharged application like on a piece of farm equipment or a pickup truck you really want to go around and make sure that all of the clamps that are coming that the uh that feed the engine air under boost pressure are snug and tight and you also want to look at all of those hoses to make sure that there's nothing that rubbed through or what have you very 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 important and you know on a on a engine that's normally aspirated but like like the more modern gasoline engine it's fuel injected and uses a mass airflow sensor then you really need to make sure and snug all of those inlet pipes up also because any air that is going to be introduced to the engine after the mass airflow sensor is uh, what's called false air and it's going to skew the load calculations on the engine and i'm going to get into that a little bit more in a minute so just you know put eyeballs there go around if it's a hay bale go around look at it you know uh, give it some eyeballs grab the belt you put some wrenches on everything all right i mean i'm not going to talk about greasing stuff or whatever i'm going to talk about the things that sometimes a lot of people overlook and snugging up bolts on engines and pieces of equipment is something that most people do not do all right so you want to uh, and specifically on the engine on the intake side the next thing is i'm going to suggest that you clean the mass airflow sensor and clean the throttle body now to clean the mass airflow sensor you need to buy a special cleaner i've discussed this before it's called the mass airflow sensor cleaner it's about eight or nine dollars a can i know the one i use is from crc i think they were the first ones that came out with that there may be other brands now so you want to clean the mass airflow sensor because that sensing element is going to be get dirty from from airborne contaminants and that airborne contaminant may be dust if you live on a dirt road all right and you're following somebody into the farm and he's making dust and your engine is ingesting it or just just from the atmospheric conditions you could live in brooklyn new york and uh you could have uh a situation where just from the pollution of the air in the air it's going to um, coat that mass airflow sensor now keep in mind that then again i've repeated this before on the show is that the purpose of the mass airflow sensor is to read the volume of air coming into the engine to determine load calculations and it uses that that data from that mass airflow sensor for injector timing for ignition timing for transmission shifting on a modern engine for torque converter lockup that data goes every place so that the 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 load data on the engine 
is really um, something that is that migrates out into every decision making, every decision that ECU makes to run that that engine. That's why I really call it a a uh, engine management system and driveline management system because it's all in there. But it's, it's very foundational on the values of the mass airflow sensor because it's a load calculation. So it's how much load is on the engine, and that's going to be pertinent for gear selection, spark timing, everything under the sun that you could possibly think of. Now, keep in mind also that a mass airflow sensor has, and this is where I'm getting a little bit, I'm not going to say obscure, but I want you to understand it. I'm not going to belabor it. Well, there's what is called a transfer table. And you, I mean, you cannot see the transfer table. So it's not like, okay, where's the transfer table? Let me clean that. It's not, it, that's not what it is. It's, it's basically a calibration table. And what it is, is um, the transfer table of the mass airflow sensor is going to be its correlation for how much CFM of air is coming into an engine and its output voltage or its output signal. Some mass airflow sensors are analog, so it's an output voltage, and some are digital. It's a frequency. It's a square wave. So this mass airflow sensor has has to be calibrated, and the the calibration values are what is in what is called a transfer table, and and that's so that's basically transferring, right, or converting a certain electrical signal into equivalent airflow into the engine, and what is so important is that. If that mass airflow sensor is dirty, that sensing element, and I'm not talking about the outside, the sensing element is, is dirty, It's the transfer table is going to skew. So it's not that the mathematics are wrong, but it would be like reading tire pressure with a gauge that's wrong, or reading you know, your, 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 your wife is cooking something, cooking a turkey in the oven for Thanksgiving, and the thermometer is wrong. Well, you know, if you're getting wrong data, then you're making the wrong decisions. So... The, the transfer table, as you purchase the vehicle, as the manufacturer made it, whoever it is, and keep in mind that diesel engines today, specifically in light-duty pickup trucks, most of them do use a mass airflow sensor. So you need to, this is not just on the gas side of the aisle. And uh, if you have that transfer table skewed, well, actually, let me put it this way. No, because I'm saying that incorrectly take that back, strike that from the record if I was in court. The thing is that if the sensor is is contaminated, then it's not going to read accurately. So if it's not going to read accurately, like I said, with the tire pressure gauge or the thermometer, then the, not that the transfer table is wrong, the transfer table is getting bad information. And that is what, you know, a few minutes ago I spoke about false air for any leak that's that's after the mass airflow sensor. So it's the same thing. You have X amount of CFM of air coming into the engine and based upon the crankshaft speed, which is the engine RPM, would be a certain amount of load. And the, and the ECU says, okay, based upon this amount of RPM, this amount of air coming in, this amount of thrust, angle this is the, what the fuel we should have and the timing we should have and the transmission should be doing this if that sensing wire is coded then it's not going to get accurate data so the transfer table is going to be accurate but it's going to be giving it it's going to be sending out the wrong information because the sensing element is dirty so it's very 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 important for you to keep that clean very simple to do you take them you gain access to the mass airflow sensor you spray down the sensing wire 
with this cleaner you don't if, if you use the plastic tube uh to extend it from the spray tip you do not want the tube to touch the wire you want nothing to touch the wire because it's very frail and you you bathe it and by the time you take put the can away and put the sensor on it's already going to be dry and you're good to go so very important so that's another one of the things that i'm going to ask and suggest for you to do in the spring on that same token you should clean the throttle body and that's gasoline or diesel because these tier four diesel engines and light duty pickup trucks have a throttle body and they're all drive by wire and uh the gasoline and drive by wire and the diesel to a certain extent the drive by wire and lots of and in most of the time on a tier four diesels they use the throttle body to regulate the egr flow into the engine which is exhaust gas recirculation and it's going to get dirty and the throttle plates are going to get dirty and then the gas engine is going to get dirty also from the overlap of the cam so it's very important that you clean those with a throttle body cleaner or a carburetor cleaner uh you're probably better off using a throttle body cleaner or a cleaner that says it's safe for throttle bodies the only difference would be some throttle bodies have a coating on them and if you use a carburetor cleaner it's going to attack that coating so so you want to use a throttle body cleaner and or a, or a combination cleaner thereof or if you're cognizant let's say like on my fiesta on my ranger on my wife's escape there is no coating so i could buy a carburetor cleaner but i still buy the throttle body cleaner because i don't know what the bushings they have i doubt if it's going to hurt it and i mean two hundred ten thousand on a fiesta it never hurt it so i doubt if it would but still if i'm going to go to the store i could buy throttle body a, a carburetor slash throttle body cleaner and spend a dollar more and i don't have to worry about it and that's one of the things today with, with all of these things there's so much different you know you know we could say look it's oh it's the same thing right but they may use a different material in the bushing or something who knows it's a complex world today with machinery it's a complex world without just any, anything but specifically with machinery so that's why you know i like to use i like to use what i'm supposed to use and i don't have to worry about it and you want to clean both sides of the throttle body and why is that important and specifically with a drive by wire is that if you build up a lot of coke c c o k e coke a lot of coking on the throttle body and that's usually from the egr and also from the overlap of the camshaft uh, having reversion pushing fuel films back and if the person is not good about changing oil or uses an oil with a low quality additive package you're going to make a lot of coking on that throttle body and what's and not only is that well it's going to slightly impede airflow but when it's really going to impede it's not going to impede airflow obviously at half throttle or quarter throttle it's going to impede airflow at idle and just as it transitions off idle and you have to remember both on a tier four diesel and on a and on a uh tier four diesel and on a uh gasoline engine is that it's going to look at that throttle angle and it's going to be looking at the mass airflow it's going to be look so if this is all dirty then specifically at low throttle input it's not going to have so for two arguably two degrees throttle opening it should be flowing x amount of cfm of air but if it's all coked up and it may not look like it's that thick coked but at very little throttle angle because the the 
the throttle plates are going to be so shrouded it's going to have a large impact that any dirt any dirt on it any coking any film on it it's going to really really impact that airflow just like if you would look at low lift valve flow sure the car the you know the carbon on the valve is going to have an impact all right even at a at, at 500,000 lift but at 10,000 lift it really has an impact because when it should be flowing it's not even flowing yet because it's got carbon on it. so it's very important for you to do that very very simple task all right you don't want to flood the engine you could spray it wipe it down with a rag if it's a drive-by wire you could usually push the throttle plate open with your finger and and, and use a soft rag and and wash it down and and and, and clean it up the best you can they're ready so that's something that should be normal procedure not just a spring deal all right the next thing is that specifically on a modern ignition system with a coil pack or a coil on plug is that you should you should take an ohmmeter and you should check the resistance of the coil the secondary resistance of the coil and if and uh, and uh, you could check the primary resistance also uh, the thing is that if you don't know the specification then you could look it up it's not going to be that easy to find but you could write it down in a notebook once you find it and all you need to do is put the ohm meter across that and read the resistance because these coil packs when they st- coil packs and coil on plugs when they when they end up they have a high failure rate because they're putting out a lot of voltage and they're they're usually right on the engine versus an old oil cooled coil or epoxy core coil that was not sitting on the cylinder head and on the on the coil pack they're firing two spark plugs on coil unplugged they're firing one spark plug but they're also much smaller so because they're much smaller and they're packing a lot of power they don't have the heat dissipation that is standard old-fashioned oil coil and they run a lot hotter and the windings tend to fail the thing is that it's going to be very very forgiving but a telltale sign of the coil failing will be the resistance on the primary and specifically the secondary side of the coil that's the spark plug wire side the secondary side of the coil uh, will start to go higher so let's say arguably that a new coil pack has 11,000 ohms resistance and then as it starts to go bad and wear out you'll be 17 18 19 20 25,000 all right once it burns open it's going to be infinite it's going to be infinity but the, the important take-home message here as the coil starts to degrade it doesn't really wear out the term we use is degrade as the windings degrade and the resistance increases is that it could be very forgiving with the way the car engine runs all of a sudden now it starts to buck or do something so if you were to start to check those coils uh, with an ohmmeter and you'll you will see as it starts to go bad and you'll know which that it will have to be replaced and like i said the best thing is to get the actual specification and write it down all right but if not if you have a six cylinder eight cylinder four cylinder i i you 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 want to look at the difference between them but i always start with a specification and i over the years I've, I mean, I worked in the Buick dealer and then subsequently I worked on a lot of Grand Nationals. I remember a Grand National, a Buick Grand National coil pack was 11,700 ohms new right out of the box. And then as they started to go bad, they would go up in the 25, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100,000 ohm range and they would burn open. 
and the car would run fine, but then under boost, it would start to buck. And uh, and then when they had the 3800 Buicks would normally aspirate, those was a different coil pack design, they were half the resistance, they were like 6700. But even like with my little Ranger, I think my little Ranger was around 11,000 ohms. Uh, so I checked that. And I don't expect you to remember all of this stuff. Get yourself a notebook. And I mean a paper and pen notebook. And write this stuff, write this down in the notebook and say, okay, you know, my F-150 is this. My wife's Buick is this. My lawn tractor is this. Because same thing as with a lawn tractor. I mean, it'd be coil and plug. But if it's one, if it's a you know, one cylinder, and you know it's the same thing so a good a good deal is at least once a year to check the resistance of those coils and specifically the coil packs on more modern engines and sometimes they're a pain in the neck but uh you usually can check them without too 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 much issue all right so uh next thing you know i've said this ad nauseum you know treat the fuel system with a good in-tank fuel cleaner so something that's going to clean the deposits off the injectors uh inside the carburetor on the carbureted application the piston crown and the intake valve so you want a brand that's and you want it to say that it's a complete fuel systems cleaner there's a lot of good brands out there i've said this many times i use chevron techron i believe seafoam is a very good brand there's some other good brands but you don't want just an injector cleaner you want a complete fuel systems cleaner because you want to be able to take the carbon off the valves and you know with your small engines your carburetor small engines i've said this many times to you i treat my gasoline all the time with techron and if you want to use seafoam or something else that's fine but it's going to keep the internal passages of the carburetor clean and on your small engine it's going to do the same thing it's going to keep the valves clean which is ivd intake valve deposits and it's going to keep the combustion chamber clean which is ccd combustion chamber deposits as a matter of fact i'm going to go back to my visits over to messick's on monday and i was over at the parts department because i actually believe it or not i was out there for open house and i won a jacket i never won anything but i won a jacket so i was picking it up and they had a crank a little crankshaft there with a piston and a connecting rod on it and it was out of a husqvarna uh uh weed whacker the guy told me and they had it all cleaned up the crank was nice and clean and and uh, what have you but you would be surprised and i don't know i don't think they had it there for that particular reason they had there i guess as a conversation piece but you'd be surprised at the carbon that was on the top of that piston i mean so it was really 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 carboned up the skirt looked good didn't have much scuff on the skirt and the crank looked good but that piston was loaded with carbon so that's why even on your two-stroke engines you want to be able to treat um you know they're not going to have poppet valves they'll have reed valves but you want to be able to treat that fuel and get that carbon off of that combustion chamber and off of that piston crown so it's very 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 important and that's not something you just need to do in the spring you should do it all year but specifically collectively as you get into the spring and you know with your diesel equipment and i've said this ad nauseum again you have to treat your fuel and treat your fuel all year round and it has to be some it has to be um 
multiple what we call an agriculture modes of action so obviously in a winter you want an anti-gel but you want a cetane booster you want an injector cleaner you want a lubricity additive you want something that's going to minimize a microbe growth and sludge formation in the fuel tank so it's very 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 important and to do that and uh, and uh, like i say it's uh you know, a, a lot of people argue with me on it and uh, what have you, but it it's it needs to be done. It need it definitely definitely needs to be done. All right, the next thing, uh, what I'm going to suggest for you to do on your engines and specifically, you know, the more important ones. I mean, you could do this on the lawnmower, but um, for grins and giggles, it's not expensive to do. But you know, before you change your fluids, this is the time now. To pull an oil sample, an engine oil sample, a coolant sample, and if it's a road vehicle, a transmission sample, fluid sample, and you know, on a f- piece of farm equipment, they usually have the hydraulic oils. Usually, you know, cover every, you carry everything. So, a hydraulic oil sample, it's it's probably about thirty-five dollars or forty dollars a test now. The last time I did, I think it was thirty-five, and may have gone up now because everything did. But now is the time because you have some, you have use, if you have use, if it was a farm tractor or something and you put it away or a combine and you put it away and you didn't, and it had fresh fluids in it, then obviously that's not going to bring any value. But, you know, you want to pull the oil, engine oil, the coolant and a hydraulic sample, whatever the hydraulic system is on that piece of equipment or that road vehicle. And you have to remember that it is a predictor of what is going on and even if you do this just once a year and then keep all of those records and it and they're they're invaluable it's not expensive to do uh the best way to do is invest the 25 or 30 dollars maybe it's 40 dollars an hour for an evacuation pump it's a one-time purchase and it's a one-time purchase hello donald donald jumped up here to see me and it's a one and and you could you could go right into the dipstick tube all right you want to make sure you don't wrap the uh to wrap the uh, the uh, the plastic line around the crankshaft. Obviously, the engine's not going to run. Well, I'm not running when you're doing this. But no, no, Don. These cats are coming up here. That's not good. I got Donnie and they got Ali here by the soundboard. No, no, no. It's not good. So anyway, um, you want to do that, and it's a predictor of what is happening and what's going on with the engine. Very with the transmission, with the hydraulic system, extremely important. You have use on it over the winter time. You're ready. You're ready for. You're ready for oil change you ready for an oil change go on down go on down don go on down don't knock the microphone over i don't know why all of a sudden they're sleeping they have to come over here so uh so anyway very very important to do that and you could see exactly what's going on uh anywhere anything of of it's like taking a soil test and then keep that and then next year do that and as you get into the spring season which i mean you really should have done this with the farm equipment over the winter time but it's it's now is the time to do it it's never too late to get good good data so to if we recap quickly before we get into our question that we're going to tighten everything snug everything up on the engine the intake manifold the induction system a piece of farm equipment and implement we're going to look for telltale signs of something that was loose right you see some shiny areas where the metal is rubbing or you see a nut or a bolt that's starting to back out that's that's, so you'll put some eyes on it grab stuff tactilely right look at your belts look at your chains we didn't talk we you know lubricate your chains study your chains whether it's a chain 
drive on something and you look to see uh, what's happening look at the gear the sprockets that they ride on does it seem to be are the teeth wearing evenly so just you know put some you put some eyeballs on that clean the mass airflow sensor and the throttle body check the coil packs for for resistance specifically secondary resistance and primary resistance very easy to do with your own meter you just go across the terminals with it not hard to do not hard to do at all all right so uh very very simple all right then you want to put an in-tank fuel systems cleaner in both gasoline and diesel and you want to get into the habit of doing that uh very 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 important you want to check your turbo hoses you want to look for any signs of rubbing you want to make sure that they're tight because you want all of that boost going into the engine and if it's using a mass airflow sensor let's say if it's like an eco boost pickup truck engine or or uh, a little uh, chevy uh, well, like a uh, Silverado with that four-cylinder turbo on it, great motor, right? You want that boost going into the engine, and you also don't want that false air to skew that mass airflow sensor reading. And then you want to pull fluid samples, oil, coolant, hydraulic fluid, transmission fluid, whatever is applicable there. So it's very important for you to do that, and then you'll be ready to go for as we go into the spring whatever that piece of equipment is used for if it's used to you know on the farm if it's used to mow if it's whatever i mean even if it's not a piece of farm equipment it's a the, the car the truck you're using every day that your wife is using what have you now is the time to to look things over and to check it all out and you will have a a the the months and months of of carefree and efficient efficient usage and efficient because specific i mean you always want efficiency even if you're getting the fuel for free but you know with these prices then it really becomes glaring the level of efficiency but you know like i say regardless of what the price is or even if you're getting it for free you know i never was one to prescribe to you i'm not paying for it the company's paying for it. who gives a damn that was never my style it's not a christian style of living is that you take care and respect others property more than you would even respect your own so if you have any questions any concerns with this any arguments please feel free to reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and now what we're going to do is we're going to bring tex rubinowitz in come on in tex Hey, everybody. Thank you so much, Tex. He's usually doing that toolbox test, right? But he's not doing a toolbox test because this guy over here, this hot rod farmer, has been negligent about making up those tests. All right, so our letter here is from Joe Peter, and he does not say where he is from. And basically, I will paraphrase his letter, is that he got in his pickup truck to go to work one day, one morning and he drove home fine he parked it outside and he got in in the morning and it it was completely dead he says it ran fine when he got home and it ended up being the battery and he said he did not leave any lights on he did not do anything and he wanted to know what happened well well mr peter uh, i want to thank you so much for listening and for writing into me if you go back into my archives 
in the early days of this idle chatter podcast i did a uh, an episode where i believe it was called sds which is sudden death syndrome is not just for soybeans for those that are listening that are not soybean or grain farmers is that there is a disease called sds and it's called sudden death syndrome where the soybeans die they get sick and they well excuse me that they end up dying over a short period of time it's not like you they die overnight it's not like a you know like a poor animal got hit by a car or got shot or something that they dropped dead but they they die very very rapidly it's called sds sudden death syndrome you look at the soybeans one day they look pretty good you go away i'm not laughing uh you go away for three or four days and you come back you say what the heck happened to the field and that is what it is so and i did that because batteries have can have suffered sudden death syndrome and even though there's different styles of batteries today for the most part with a lead acid what they call a flooded battery each cell is about 2.1 2.2 volts so what they do what they have to do is they tie those cells together to come up with the 12 volts so we'll say two volts for easy arithmetic it's like 2.1 something just shy of 2.2 when it's fully charged and everything is right inside that battery and then the so what what happens is inside that battery there's a connection bar which is usually called the bus bar b-u-s-s because it's tying circuits together then those cells are wired up in parallel because uh if you if you uh excuse me they're wired up in series so it means the positive goes to negative and negative goes to the positive inside those cells and that's what makes it so if you to wire it up in series uh, then you are adding the voltage of those cells together. So if you look like at a, like at a flashlight, let's say a flashlight it takes two D batteries, right? So they're two one and a half volt batteries, but the uh, the bulb is a three volt bulb. So they're wired up in series. So it uh, it it uh, you add the voltage together, and that's how to get the twelve the twelve volts out of the battery. If I'm not confusing you. So anyway, what happened to your battery? is that that bus bar that tie bar at one particular that ties all of those cells together broke what will happen is the battery ages that tie bar will start to become thin but it's still making contact so it's starting to be it's, it's sacrificial inside the battery from the con, from the creation of the acids the acid making the electrolyte making make working with the with the materials in the battery and uh, the 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 voltaic action of that battery is going to over time weaken and wear out that tie bar like a tie like a like a tire would wear out and then at one particular point that tie bar gets so thin that you could literally have come into your driveway or closed the door on the truck or whatever just hit just stepped on the brakes not slamming on the brakes and the tie bar broke so that's what i call sds or sudden death syndrome of a battery and what causes that is age over the battery and many cycles so uh many charge and recharge cycles uh it's an it's it, the battery wore out it didn't wear out chemically to make electricity uh but it wore out the tie bar that holds it together wore out and broke and that is why i had that happen years ago with my escort and that is why people that's why you should really i was going to change literally going to change the battery when i got home from michigan and uh and uh i stopped in a rest area 
and they, the car ran beautifully. I shut it off, went into the restroom, came back out. The car was completely dead as if there were no battery at all in it. So that is sudden death syndrome, and that's why you really want to change the battery every five or six years because you it, it will eventually suffer from that. And, uh, and there's no way for you to predict how how long that's going to take. And there's other, there's other metrics. I mean, it depends on the quality of the battery, how many times you, you know, if you killed the battery, how many times you start to start the engine. Because if you do a lot of starting, there's more amperage that's going through the battery. So a lot of there's a lot of things that come into play. But usually every five to six years, you should change the battery. And that's one of the things also why you need to use an agricultural or off-road type of battery and that type of piece of equipment in a farm piece of farm equipment or a, a backhoe or a piece of construction equipment because all of those those tie bars and the cells the plates in the cells are all made out of thicker material so they could take the take it take the vibration but that is what happened it is a common phenomena and i would say i don't know what your vehicle was or what kind but i'd say that battery is probably at least five or six years old and that is what happened so um you got your money's worth out of it and that is it so listen i want to thank you all for, for clicking in today and jason reach out to me so i could get your license plate and they want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher and my beloved beloved america you have a blessed blessed day and i'll catch you next week thank you so much bye bye